You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is Monday, and welcome to an ass-sucking free podcast. Uh, and the reason I say that is because Mondays, they always suck a little ass. And uh, while you listen to this podcast, there will be no ass sucking. So, well, I guess unless you're into that kind of thing, but uh, probably a majority of us are not. Now, <laughs> today we are going to be talking with Fred Dockerty from Wasp Archery. We're going to be talking about his company's broadheads, a little bit of... Uh, company history, uh, product specs, um, you know, engineering and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it's pretty cool, pretty interesting uh, podcast with a little background on Wasp. Now, if you follow the hunting industry, and uh, I'm sure a lot of you do if you're online and uh, you get this podcast online, you probably have heard something about this whole, this drama that is unfolding with Under Armour and uh, a, a, a family that is that was sponsored by Under Armour. Now, like I always say, uh, if you get it from the internet, it's probably not 100% true, but uh, the way everything is unfolding, it seems like it is you know, leaning towards the truthful side. Now, here's what I've gathered. Um, there's a couple. I think they're from Ohio. Um, Barman's, Bromans, I don't have the, the notes in front of me. Uh, she is an Under Armour athlete, and uh, her husband recently killed a bear with a spear up in Canada. Now, from my understanding, it was 100% legal. Uh, he did everything the way he was supposed to be. It was supposed to be done. Um, and a couple, an anti-hunter got a hold of the footage, uh, got a hold of the story, and uh, created a petition and had somewhere around 4,000 anti-hunters sign this petition to have Under Armour drop this couple and stop doing all business relations with, you know, business relations with this, this uh, couple. Now, what happened was you would think a, a hunting company such as Under Armour would say, I'm sorry, we support the people who we sell to. Uh, on the other hand, Under Armour ended up dropping this sponsorship and in a way kind of condoning what this gentleman did, even though he was not the sponsored athlete. His wife was, and they ended up terminating their business relationship with these guys. Now, there's a huge uproar in the hunting community, and I can understand a little bit why um, Under Armour, as we know, makes, I believe it's called Ridge Reaper. Uh, it's, their, it's their camo pattern line. And what has happened is they caved to anti-hunting pressure to terminate someone that they were sponsoring the business relationship because they did not believe in this specific type of hunting. Now, 
this hunting that this gentleman did was 100% legal. And so he, he technically did nothing wrong and they can't, they terminated their relationship with his wife anyway. Now, this has kind of got me a little flustered because typically, you know, a lot of this stuff in the hunting industry is just, it's just drama. But this to me is a little bit more than just drama because what has happened here is that we have had a group of anti-hunters band together and put pressure on a company that sells hunting related products to hunters and that company folded under pressure. So they are selling products to us and they want us to buy their products, but they do not want to support us. So my question to you guys is, and I'm, I'm trying to keep this, uh, this opinion to myself because my goal is to try to in the next couple days or this next week, if I can find time, is to get a panel together, get a round table together of people in the hunting industry who may, you know, from the product side, from the maybe the quote unquote entertainer or hunting celebrity side, because what we have here is we have Under Armour not supporting a specific type of hunter and then we have Under Armour sponsoring a whole bunch of other big names. And we're talking, you know, if I had to guess, and this is just a guess, six-figure type of, you know, six-figure dollar amounts, you know, over a hundred thousands of dollars in sponsorship dollars going to some of these quote-unquote athletes or these um, these other industry folks just to rep Under Armour. Now, what's that say? That says, hey, we we support Under Armour even though they don't support hunting. And I it just there's this huge turmoil right now. And I, I'm a little bit flustered because I'm not sure that I can give any money to a company that does not support, you know, if they're gonna sell a hunting product, they don't support all types of legal hunting. So now they're picking and choosing what, you know, they are determining what is right and what is wrong. But the only reason that they're they're making this decision is because they have pressure from anti-hunters. So this is a win, whether we like it or not. This is a win for anti-hunters against hunters. And we need to get our shit together as a hunting community, we need to stop talking shit on a guy who uses a spear or uses a crossbow or uses a rifle. We are outnumbered right now, and it is a fact. And if we do not unite and come up with a plan and join together to put up a front and saying, no more, we are hunters. Here we stand, and the more of us that can unite as one voice, the more of us that can join together, the better chance that we have of defending our rights to hunt. Because what's happened here is these anti-hunters, you know, they've made such a huge fuss about the spear hunting. Now, there, there are laws that potentially could be changing, not only in Canada, but in Alaska, because of this, this spear. They're, they're trying to ban spear hunting. Now, in my opinion, spear hunting and probably bow hunting are the two most traditional types of hunting there, there are. I mean, the very first hunter probably had a rock or a spear and was killing shit thousands of years ago with that method. And they were doing it, you know, just for food. And, and, there's all these different things. Like there's hunters saying, hey, this guy here, he's using a spear. Why do you need to use a spear? We have guns that kill deer more ethical. Well, this guy didn't want to use a gun and he did it legally. So as hunters, we should say, you know what? That's your right. We support you because you are a hunter, not because of the weapon that he chose, but because he is a hunter. And we need to, okay, I'm kind of off on a tangent right now, but you get the point. And my goal is to try to get together a panel. So if you guys have any 
voices that you want to hear from on this topic. And I'm talking about anybody. Make a comment to me on Facebook uh, or go to my uh, go to the Nine Finger Chronicles website and do the uh, you know send me an email ninefingerchronicles at gmail.com or hit me up on Facebook or any other one of my social media avenues. It's it's time. <laughs> the the anti hunters are winning, and if they continue to do this and see that they can successfully do this, it's going to be one step closer for these crazy bastards to take away all of our hunting rights. And uh, so imagine your life right now without hunting season. I mean, I think about, the only thing I think about more than hunting seasons is my family. And uh, anyway... I, I, I want to switch the tone back to a positive one because this podcast with Wasp Archery is really, really good. Uh, but before we get into this week's podcast, let's hear what Exodus Trail Cameras has to say about how to prevent theft and their theft policy. Absolutely. So there are a lot of things people can do. There are a lot of things on the market now. Obviously, we've got security or bear boxes, as people like to call them. They've been out for some time. They've probably saved a lot of cameras over the years. Python cable locks. Um, Cam Guardian makes a camera-specific uh, lock product. Um, we typically, and I, I tell you this, we've run a lot of cameras and a lot of cameras on public and private land. We don't lock any of them up. What we do is we put them up high, about seven or eight feet, get them out of people's line of sight. And it actually not only helps them not get stolen, but it also keeps them out of the nose of a mature deer and seems to help us that way. But what we really are excited about with Exodus is the fact that if your camera does get stolen, we actually offer a 50% off theft damage replacement policy. So if your camera is stolen in those five years um, that our, our warranty covers, we actually give you a new camera 50% off. And, and that's one of the things that, that really is important to us as far as, you know, taking care of our customers, being there for them whenever something's wrong. Um, and uh, that's something we're pretty proud of. If you guys want to find out more information about Exodus trail cameras, be sure to visit exodusoutdoorgear.com. And if you do decide to purchase, enter the code nine fingers. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers, no spaces, and you will receive $20 off your purchase. Now let's get into today's podcast with Wasp Archery and Fred Doherty. All right, on the phone with me now, is Fred Doherty from Wasp Archery. How are you doing today, Fred? I'm doing great, Dan. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Doing great. Uh, thanks for taking time to uh, come on the podcast and talk a little bit about Wasp. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. Perfect. Perfect. So before we uh, you know, start talking about Wasp and the products and whatnot, let's BS for a little bit. How was your uh, 2015 hunting season? You know, I, I had a real good season. Um, I, I was fortunate enough to uh to take an elk in wyoming a real nice six by six oh I'm nice probably gonna go about 330 340 something like that um i shot a nice buck at uh the owner of wasp guy weaver i shot a nice buck at his place in uh, new york state um and then i got invited on a hunt down to mexico of all places to hunt whitetails and not really a, a spot that i would have thought about whitetails being but man, they, they had some nice ones down there i ended up taking a real nice eight point down, down there it's probably gonna, uh, not a giant but probably gonna score around 140 or so so yeah, I was, I was pretty blessed. We took a couple of cold does off the guy's property as well. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's as good as it gets for me. I don't, I don't really get to, I'm not a TV star, so I don't get to do all that traveling <laughs> around the countryside. <laughs> well, like, like you mentioned, uh, like you mentioned before we started recording, you're retired in a way, kind of too. Yeah. So. <laughs> you, you understood in a, in a way, kind of, yeah. Yeah. In a way, kind so, of. So I, I worked for the Hershey corporation for oh, almost 39 years. Uh, as an engineer in various engineering disciplines and, and various positions and so forth. Um, and, but when uh, the Weaver family purchased wasp archery um, about six years ago, I guess. And when that happened, Guy Guy Weaver, he called me and he said, hey, I want you to go check out this business with me. And, and I'm thinking about buying it. It came out of the blue. I really didn't know he was thinking about anything like that. 
Um, so I went with him, we checked it out. We talked about the pros and the cons and he put in an offer and by golly, he, he bought it. They accepted um, it. Yeah. So I, I've been helping him on the side, you know, it shows and so on and so forth. And I'd run to the factory on weekends and help, you know, order things and schedule things and so forth. And then, uh, finally it was time to retire from Hershey and, um, and, uh, work for Wasp. It's supposed to be part-time and guy, guy laughs every time I say that, but (laughs) (laughs) it's, you know what? It's, it's fun though. And not that my other job wasn't, but this is like, this is right up my alley. I'm in the archery business. I get to talk about hunting every day and I love it. Absolutely love it. And that's one trend that I've seen in the hunting industry, whether you are, um, you know, a salesman or, you know, you, you want to get into the industry somehow, whether that's a product or, you know, selling it or manufacturing it or, you know, marketing it, whatever. Uh, it seems like you work more hours than what you would at your regular, a quote unquote regular job, because I don't know, you're trying to, you're trying to make it. Well, you're right. It's, it, and it's surprisingly, and not surprisingly, maybe it's, it's more hours and less money. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how that worked out, but, uh, no, nah, I'm, I'm kidding. I got, I know guy will listen to this at some point and he'll, he'll laugh as well, but it, it's been a blast for me. It really, it really, really has. And I, I just, I love doing it. love helping out with it and we're making it be a success. And it, hey, at least you get a hunt, right? Exactly. We get to hunt all the time, which is awesome. That's good. That's good. So I got a quick question before, what was, what was Wasp like before the purchase, before Guy purchased it? Well, Wasp Archery was um, established, founded, if you will, in 1971. It's one of the oldest and, and original broadhead companies. If you're as old as me, you remember back, back in the day um, when there were only two or three different broadheads you could possibly choose from. And, and Wasp was you know, the crest of the wave. I mean, they were, they were everywhere, uh, and everybody wanted them and everybody was shooting wasp. Not that there was, there was other products out there, but, uh, they, they had a superior product. Um, the original owner of wasp was, was an absolute genius. I mean, I, I look at the machinery that he designed and built, um, on site at our factory in, in Plymouth, Connecticut. And it, it is just, it's amazing. I, I, he passed away, before, you know, that's why the business came up for sale and I never got to meet him or anything, but I would have loved to because, uh, he just was a fascinating guy. Um, but long story short, I mean, he, he's credited with, with being the first person to have replaceable blade broadheads. Okay. Um, now that's not to say that, you know, something, I mean, I said, when I say that it should be like commercially available, replaceable blade broadheads, if you will. Right. Um, and literally he used, Schick injector blades from Schick razors um, back in the in the early seventies, and you just slide a new one in and slide an old one out, kind of a thing, like you do with your you shave your face with. Yeah, um, and that made it easy. Um, and then he, you know, progressed in different designs. Many, many old timers like me remember uh, a broadhead called the Camlock, um, which you kind of like threaded, sort of like how you thread a key onto a onto a key ring. You threaded the the blade around. And we still, to this day, have people call and ask if we have any cam locks. Um, and we haven't made those for, oh gosh, 25 years or more. Um, but guys swear by them that they were tough, they flew straight, they cut, you know, they had all these, these great attributes. Um, but then um, this, the owner, Richard Molesky was his name. He, he came up with this um, uh, tip the idea for the, for the very front of the broadhead. And I think that's really what changed Wasp as it, as it is today. Um, the tip is a proprietary process. To my knowledge, there's only two machines in the world that, that do it. Cause I've inquired and trying to find, um, somebody else who could in case, you know, in case we ran into a production issue or whatever. Um, and it, the long and the short of it is this, it's solid. It, it's made from a solid stainless steel rod and it's made sort of into a bullet point, And then that is sent out to be hardened, um, to very hard. It's Rockwell 46. For reference purposes, a hammer is about Rockwell 54. Okay. So it, it's a very, very hard tip. And you, you harden it first, and then the special proprietary machinery that we own grinds that to a to a near knife edge, if you will, into a trocar design. And it becomes one of the hardest tips that, that I'm aware of on the market. I mean, other people you know, have, have chisel chip tips and trocar tips and so forth, but we've, we've tested them. 
uh, we have plenty of science and, and YouTube videos and so forth that, you know, we, we, uh, we go to demolition derby type things all the time where we shoot into really weird stuff like bowling balls and bulletproof glass. <laughs> and <laughs> we have, we, now we're famous. We've become famous. Uh, we have this steel, uh, deer. It's cut out uh, out of a oh, yeah. quarter inch plate steel. And so we shoot competitor heads into it and then blow them to pieces. And then we shoot ours into it. And it, it, that literally will stick into the steel. The, the tip is that, is that hard. Nice. And you know, the, the connection obviously is supposed to be that, you know, if, if you hit a bone or if you hit a shoulder, if you hit a giant moose in the ribs or something like that, you, you have the, uh, the most possible strength and durability on the very front of that uh, broadhead that, that that's available. Um, we know of nothing harder. Well, what's cool, um, so anyway, what's cool is that, you know, before this podcast, I started, you know, before we recorded, I went to you guys' uh, website and checked it out. And the very first image that pops up is one of your, I believe it's a mechanical broadhead, if I had to guess, uh, just stuck into a bone that looks like it went through the bone out on the other side. So yeah, absolutely. That is, uh, that's kind of a, an image in my opinion, where it's like, okay, that's kind of a tough, that's kind of a tough head. Well, here's, and here's, here's the backstory on that because I, I know who shot it and I know when it was done. The, that was the far shoulder of a oh, pretty really? good sized buck. Yeah. That already, it already had killed the buck at that point. It was kind of like a quartering away. He had already gotten through at least one long for sure. I wasn't there for the, for the disassembly part, but he got through a long and uh, that was the far shoulder coming out the other side. So yeah, it's absolutely. I mean, we that's our reputation. We we stand on. If if you think your broadhead's tougher, um, send me one, and I'll I'll video it and show you that it's not. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> your broadhead, your broadhead's uh, kind of tough, but it's not that tough. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, well, before you know, before we start getting into more of you know current, mm-hmm. you know, how did Wasp over the years, I guess maintain and innovate to be and continue to be a tough broadhead and not only tough, but, you know, accurate and, you know, durable. Yeah. Well, you know, like I said, we already talked about the tip, but then the way that tip is built uh, and the ferrules, all the ferrules we have to are are absolute solid material. There's no, there's no pins or screws or, or, uh, you know, no drill holes in them. And that, that's what weakens a broadhead. Um, you can imagine as soon as you drill down the center of it so that you can screw a tip on or something like that, you just weaken the whole thing. Um, and that's when you get into trouble when you, when you hit a hard bone, if it's going to be a weak spot, boom, there it is. Um, so it, you know, they came up with this concept of solid materials all the way around, um, and very, very tight tolerances. I mean, everything we do is to four decimal places uh, on the machinery, which is, you know, that's not, that's not huge in the, in, in, uh, in the machining industry, but it's, it's probably pretty unique in the broadhead industry to keep that, uh, uh, consistency, if you will, from one head to the next. So that trocar tip then gets pressed on to the ferrule. And I think that's one of the biggest innovations he came up with. Cause when, when you're when you can do that, it's called in the engineering world, it's called an interference fit. So you can imagine pressing stainless steel onto aluminum. It literally crushes the aluminum beneath it and it, it will never come off. I mean, it just, you can't pull it off of the pliers. It's just, it's impossible to, to come off because he can press it on. He then, he then figured then why not align it in perfect alignment with the blades. So you have three, the stainless steel trocar lined up with three blades and and now you, you've got just an absolute bone crushing machine that's that's on the end of your arrow. So that was one of the bigger innovations um, that he came up with. He also was credited with, and I know I researched this. I mean, there was literally there was you know ancient man had mechanical broadheads, if you will. But again, commercially available, uh, the Jack Hammer was was one of the first commercially available and widely sold uh, mechanical broadheads, and, and he invented that as well. Um, just the, the first way to, you know, how the blades in, in our case, they, they fold back from the front. Um, it's all neoprene. It's not O rings or, 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 I mean, I'm sorry, it is O rings. It's not rubber bands, which is the thing that, you know, put, turns most people off about, uh, mechanical heads. Uh, the hardest part of a mechanical head is keeping it together in flight yet having it open and do its job when it, when it finally hits the animal. So right. it's, um, it's, it's not our science, it's, it's broadhead science to try to make that happen. And all our competitors struggle with the same thing. I mean, 
I, I know of that of one company that's been on their third or fourth locking mechanism, trying to hold it back. They keep trying to trying to make it better and better. Um, but but the jackhammer 1992, I'm going to say, hasn't changed a bit. I mean, it's it's still what it's always been. So those are some of the innovative things that Richard did along the way. And uh, I tell you what, the jackhammer, if I am not mistaken, was the very first mechanical broadhead that I ever shot. And I it, it probably I, was. Yeah, I shot it for years. I shot it for years. All right. So you know, with you know, he he designed all these great products, right? And five years ago, um, it was sold. Right. So That's now correct. we have new people are, are involved in what seems to be a proven technology. What is the goal? What would you I mean? Obviously in the hunting industry, there are products that can be overshadowed by large marketing, um, large marketing dollars being thrown at it. How are you guys trying to stay relevant? Not only, I guess, in marketing, but also with technology and innovation. Yeah, that's 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 a great question and a very interesting uh, story. Right, right when Richard became ill, um, he sort of lost interest in the business and sort of it was sliding, and he wasn't doing much advertising. Um, when he finally passed, his his wife took over the business and really didn't understand it. I don't think that fully, um, and sort of left it left it really really die. Um, and that was exactly the same time when suddenly archery was was having this resurgence throughout the country and, you know, big companies like Rage and, and Muzzy and so forth were really, you know, hitting, hitting things hard with the advertising. You can't turn on the outdoor channel without seeing, you know, Rage sponsoring everybody. Um, and so, yeah, Wasp became, you know, this, this broadhead that everybody knew was good. Everybody I talked to at any show, you even said, you just said it, Wasp was the first broadhead I shot. And I always ask people, why'd you change? And it's like, I, I don't know. I don't really, I don't really know why I changed, you know? I, uh, I saw somebody on TV shooting it and, you know, advertising and so on and so forth. So, you know, this, this whole business is, is owned by the Weaver family and people I've known since I was a young boy. Um, and now, you know, their children and, and, and the daughter-in-law and now grandchildren are coming up and in a few more years, not quite there yet, but, um, so we're, we're small. Um, you know, my job is manufacturing manager. Um, it, it could, well, you could give me any title you want, because I mean, if, if the snow in the parking lot needs shoveled, I do that too. You know, it's like whatever needs done. We're, we're just, there's only about, I don't know, eight of us involved in the whole thing, uh, that make it go. And there's no, uh, there's no pride of uh, titles or what have you. We just, we just do whatever it takes. So we're, we, we have some sponsorships, uh, on some TV shows, we, you know, we're trying to, to get into the social media thing, uh, in a much bigger way. Um, so that people, you know, try to know who we are and know a little bit about us. And it's, I think it's like any other business. You have to, you have to reach your audience somehow, but everybody knows wasp. Everybody has heard of it. Everybody has shot it at some point in time, you know, that especially if you're, you know, if you're more than 20 years old, you know, you've certainly probably shot a wasp broadhead at some point. Um, but there's, I don't know, the mentality is to make a switch once in a while. I mean, right now that's what we're doing. We're, we're asking people to make the switch. Really, it should be switch back. Yeah. Um, but, um, that's, that's what we're, what we're trying to do. And it's uh, just trying to stay relevant. We know we're tough. We know it's a darn tough broadhead. We know it's a sharp broadhead. We use the best materials. We're, we're one of the few that I'm aware of, um, that are 100% made in the USA. Um, nothing, we, we don't import anything from, from overseas or, or anywhere else. And that's, that too is a struggle for us because we, you know, we pay American wages and American benefits and all that sort of thing. And that's tough to compete with things coming out of China, you know, where people maybe make $2 an hour. I, I don't know what they make in China, but it's not a lot. Um, and lots of times inferior steels and inferior aluminum and that sort of thing. So we, we've decided not to do that. Um, so our margins aren't as good. Um, but we've, we decided to stand by that and say, Hey, look, we're going to, we're going to produce a product like it's always been made. We know it's tough. We know it's good. We just have to find a way to uh, help other people get that message. Right. And that's, uh, crazy that you said that. So all of your, all of your products are made in the United States, right? That's correct. Okay. Now when you say, and 
I'm going to ask you this question because mm-hmm. there are quote unquote loopholes that certain companies say, hey, it's made in the USA, but it's basically just assembled in the USA. Um, mm-hmm. Are all of your parts that go into your broadhead manufactured, machined, whatever in the US? 100%. Oh, perfect. Okay. All the machining is done in our factory in Plymouth, Connecticut. Most of the assembly is done there as well, um, except for what we all do in our living rooms at night watching television. Because <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you get a little behind, and we all just we all pitch together, and we'll we'll take a you know a whole bin full of heads home and and, and assemble them there. So, uh, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, one hundred percent packaging and everything. We get it all sourced from from the U.S. So, and that that's. I was actually in um, a sporting goods store last night and I was picking up some arrows. I had was having cut to size and having inserts put in and, and um, just while they were going into the back room and looking for my stuff and putting the order together, I, I took a step back to the broadhead section and I was looking at all the different choices and I was looking at, you know, some of the, name brand if you want to call it name brand the, the quote-unquote popular heads and then i was looking down towards the bottom of heads that I, you know may not be more familiar you know as familiar and i noticed i'm on your website right now you guys are it looks to it looks to be cheaper than a major on average than a majority of the other heads that are out on the market and you're also made in america which would be a driving force for a pr- a price to be higher is there can you explain that at all yeah well i mean it it depends a lot on on steel prices and aluminum prices as to how we have to establish our prices i mean just last year we took the first price increase since uh since the weaver family took over um we now in the beginning i want to to clarify that in the beginning um wasp was sold as a six-pack unassembled Yep. And right after purchasing the business, we were, you know, going through the accounting, the forensic accounting, if you will, uh, and six packs just just weren't making money. I mean, like I said, in in the five, six, seven years, whatever, between the the owners passing and and being, you know, being ill and then passing and so on and so forth, I think nothing changed. Um, meanwhile, steel prices went up, aluminum prices went up, wages went up, um, and to be honest with you, six packs just just weren't making money, um, and. Um, no one else was doing it. I think I think Muzzy still makes a, a six pack that you can assemble yourself. But we, you know, we talked to consumers and we, and we found that they don't really don't want to put them together. They don't want to sit around camp at night and cut their fingers and that sort of thing. They they want them they want them to show up, you know, already made and ready to go and and uh, ready to shoot. So um, we we made that choice and all of our fixed blade heads come in a three pack. However, we include six extra blades in that three pack. Oh, nice. So I've already explained the toughness of, of the ferrule and, and the head. You you can you can shoot that, take two of those out of there, shoot them all summer, practice into your block target or whatever target you're using, um, and literally the night before you hunt, you can pop out the old blades, pop in brand new, fresh, sharp blades. Um, the tip is still like the day we made it, uh, and you're literally hunting with the exact broadhead you've been you've been practicing with. Okay. So. My question is, there there is a lot of broadheads on the market that are made overseas. Mm-hmm. What is the noticeable that, you know, that let's say you had two products that are pretty similar, but one is made in-house in the United States, one is made overseas. What are some things that a consumer should look for um, that might be a tell? Uh, telltale sign of i guess durability or accuracy or whatever that difference is for you know u.s versus overseas production yeah i mean i personally i I think just if you hold two different broadheads side by side one made in the usa one in in china let's say or india or whatever you're probably not going to visually see a difference in in materials but but it may very well be there like like i said for instance i don't know if anybody is using stainless steel on their tips um it, and the, the blade sharpness and so forth. And there's, you know, the, these way the way things are tested, it's it's hard to to know what what does sharp mean, you know, it's, and how sharp is too sharp? Because there's you know there's there's certain angles and things that you grind and hone to um, on on anything a knife edge or a broadhead edge or or a scalpel, a surgeon's scalpel. I mean, they're made for a certain purpose, um, and each one has its, a different grind and honing mechanism, but. I don't. I don't know if they if they're capable of doing that in an overseas market. I don't know. 
you know, what their, what their quality control is like. Um, and I don't know that, you know, one of the problems I would have with it first off is if you, if you have to make stuff, you have to make it six or eight months in advance of selling it. And now if you, if it ships over here and gets through customs and does all that, you know, is, is it, is it, is there a quality issue? I, I don't know. You know, when I mean, we, we test every, every blade that we purchase, uh, comes in a box of either 750 or a thousand, all nicely stacked and neatly in the box. And we pull three, four, five out of every pack. We put them in a jig. We bend them to a 45. They have to be able to bend without breaking. Um, they have to uh, go through a couple of other tests for us. If, if any one of those blades fails that test, the whole lot, we, we might have just bought 100,000 blades. Everything goes back to the blade manufacturer. He says, no, it didn't pass our quality control. I don't know if other people do that or not. I can't, I can't really answer that. Um, I just know what we do to make sure that, you know, you have the best chance of getting, you know, a product that is, that is 100% what you expect it to be. The other thing I think is weight. Um, some products are made, I know they use, um, uh, what's called sintered metal. It's, it's actually powdered steel. It's put into a press and heated and squeezed together to get a, you know, a funny shape or a, you know, unique design or whatever. And it's cheaper than machining. Um, my thinking is if it was powdered at one point, it can become powdered again. I, I could be wrong, but I just don't, uh, we don't see the strength and durability out of those kinds of competitor heads that we, that we do out of a wasp broadhead. Right. Okay. Now, why is it important in, in going back to blades? Why is it important to have a blade bend, but not break? Well, I mean, obviously, I think the first thing is no one wants pieces of, of broadhead blade in their meat, you know, in, in a deer that they take home and, and, you know, blade breaks in half or, or chips off or whatever. No, nobody wants to, to have to think about that when they're, when they're home cooking for their family. I mean, we, we care about that stuff, uh, and I'm sure others do as well. But, um, but the, the way, I mean, it's, you know, the, the steel that we use and, uh, and the process that we use to grind it and hone it and so forth is proprietary to us. Um, because it has to be, it has to be thin enough. I mean, blades are thin, but it also has to be strong and it has to, uh, stay together when it hits that bone in a, in a moose or something. I mean, let's face it. If you're going to shoot a, you know, a hundred pound or a 90 pound Pennsylvania whitetail doe, you know, and you hit the sweet spot between ribs and so forth, Hey, you know, it's, it's going straight through and it's, it's no problem. It's when you, when you do glance off of a shoulder bone or glance off of a hard rib, you know, front rib on a, like a moose or an elk or something like that, you want to make sure that you can go through that. The blade stays intact. It number one has to do its job. If it's not intact, it can't do its job, uh, which is to cause hemorrhaging. Um, and then, you know, get out the other side and hopefully when you pick it up, you, you have the exact broadhead you, you, you shot out of your bow and nothing's missing and nothing's broken and nothing's, you know, out of whack. Makes a lot of sense. Now, moving to, let's see here. You guys have mechanical and fixed blade broadheads. And, you know, I could ask you, why do you make both? Well, we all know that everybody has different preferences. Some, you know, the difference between uh, accuracy, everybody, you know, the the fixed blade has this kind of shroud that hangs, hangs over it that's, you know, says, Hey, it's, uh, it's not as accurate as a mechanical mechanicals are supposed to be accurate, but they're not as durable as a fixed blade back and forth. So my question is, is there such thing as a perfect broadhead? Uh, <laughs> well, of course it's, it's called wasp. <laughs> no, seriously. It, it's, I, I think there is, I mean, if you, if you look at our broadheads, our fixed blade broadheads, we, we tend to stick with a, a pretty, a uh, small diameter cut, you know, legal in most states is, is an inch or above. Um, some places might be seven eighths, but you know, an inch and above is considered, you know, pretty good in most states. And, um, but it, you know, as, if you start getting into a, a really big fixed blade, yeah, you're going to have flight problems. No doubt about it. One, one of the things that, that we push for is through holes. We don't, we don't advertise giant entry holes. Okay. That, that to me means nothing. Because if you only get halfway through the animal and it runs off with your arrow and you don't have it, you know, that, that doesn't, to me, doesn't prove anything. Right. Get through both lungs where you're supposed to shoot an animal broadside, uh, take an ethical shot, and, and then, you know, the broadhead will do its job. It, it'll, it'll cut and it'll cause hemorrhaging and it'll do its job. 
so it's it's uh, I lost my train of thought, Dan. But where are we going with this? <laughs> I don't know, but I think I think you answered the question though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, what are you from a customer from a customer standpoint? What what do you guys sell more of? Do you guys sell more of the mechanicals or more of the fixed blade? It's probably 50-50, to be honest. Yeah. I think the I think the fixed blade, I know where I was going with that before. The the fixed blade, people I hear people say this that, you know, I shoot X brand um and they shoot just like my field points. Hey, congratulations. You know, that's yep. you you got pretty lucky. Um, most fixed blade heads, not just ours, any competitor, nobody, I, I would never stand here and tell you that, that you can put this, any one of our fixed blades on your bow and it's, they're all going to shoot exactly. That's not true. That's, that's not, that's wrong. If anybody's saying that about any of their broadheads, almost all fixed blade heads require some sort of tuning. And generally, um, it's, it's the, the bow, the rest of the bow, you know, the rest, if, if you, I, I've had it myself. I, I the, just this year, I recently switched to 125 grain drones. Um, because I just love the, the concept. It's solid steel, uh, the steel ferrule, the stainless tip. I mean, it's and 125 grains has become my new standard, and I'm we're seeing a resurgence. I think our, our 125 grain sales are up uh, hundreds of percent, if you will, over over previous years. Um, and it's because you know, 10, 12 years ago, I think a really fast bow was 200 feet per second. Oh yeah. Um, most people were striving to get there. Now, if you're not at 300, you know what's wrong. You, know, you got to get an old bow or something's not, something's not right. Um, and then now with the with the uh, you know so many crossbows out there, I mean they're chasing 400 and above. Yet a 100 grain broadhead is still the standard. So I think the industry in general has reached a point where you know 100 grains is not very much. Um, to put it into perspective, there's uh, 7,000 grains in a pound which is like 420 something, if my math is right, in an ounce. Okay. So you think about, you put an ounce of anything in your hand, you're not holding much. Um, to try to make a broadhead with blades, with tip, with ferrule, with washer on the back, with, you know, with threads and everything to screw at a hundred grains, it's not a lot. So I started thinking about, you know what, I'm already, I'm already shooting. My bow is 305. Okay. That's, that's from 200 to 305, man, I, I beat the fast thing. All bow manufacturers have, have beat that up. Um, so we're already fast. So, and where I hunt, I'm not shooting at 80 yards at anything. I, I would never do that. So most of my shots in, in, in Pennsylvania hardwoods and even places I've hunted around the, around the country and around the world for that matter, um, have been, you know, 35 yards and in, I, I don't need the speed that I used to have. I want kinetic energy. I want to blow through an animal completely through it. That's my goal. So I started beefing everything up. And believe me, when I first started, I switched to the 125s at 40 yards and in, it makes no difference on, on impact point with, with my yeah. particular setup. So keep the blade t- tight and small, and small cutting diameter. You'll get between ribs and not have to. That's another thing. I mean, we didn't really talk about this, but a giant cut diameter. And I especially, I really try to steer kids, you know, new newcomers away from this if you're only shooting a 45 pound bow or whatever you should not be shooting a mechanical head just plain and simple the two inch diameter trying to blow through multiple ribs because you're i mean two inches let's face it the average deer's ribs are only what three quarters of an inch apart maybe maybe an inch i don't know you're gonna hit two ribs you can't help but hit two ribs so to, to expect to get through two ribs on that one side blow through the animal's vitals get two ribs on the other side that's a lot of expectation out of a lightweight bow. Right. You're shooting 70, 75 pounds. Hey, go for it. You know, but, uh, and I'm not saying a 60 pound won't do it. We, we, we do it, but, uh, I just think that as people push bigger diameters, I try to chase, you know, lightweight bow shooters away from that and just say, look, shoot a fixed head, tune your bow properly. You get it professionally tuned at your local pro shop. And then you still may have to move your rest in or out a little bit, uh, to, to adjust for things. But, with, with the speed of everything now, a lot of it has to do with the shooter himself too. You drop your arm a little bit, and you know your field tip is is forgiving. You uh, you broadhead not so much. Right. So I had a guy uh, contact me, and we actually posted this article about cutting diameter versus wound channel surface area because um, you know a lot of these companies that two inches, you know, two inch cutting diameter when 
versus maybe a smaller cutting diameter, but it's going to damage, you know, have a, a bigger wound channel because it maybe has a, a one inch four blade as opposed mm-hmm. to a two inch. What, in your opinion, is is more important diameter as far as like a, a mechanical that is two inches or maybe a one inch four blade that, you know, will, yeah. will have four different cuts? For, for me personally, I give me the small diameter every time. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not saying I don't shoot mechanical. There's always a mechanical in my quiver. The biggest deer I ever shot in my life was shot with a, with a jackhammer. Um, only because it was a 40 mile an hour wind. I'm hanging onto a cottonwood tree, like for dear life and thinking I might have to take a shot at 30, 40 yards and I'm giving myself the best advantage I can and not have to worry about any wind planing. Um, and so I just switched to mechanical head long story short that i only shot the deer five yards he walked right below me but (laughs) i didn't know that was going to happen but um so yeah i mean when when the wind's blowing hard those are those are like wings on a plane i mean anybody who ever made paper airplanes when they were a kid knows that it just picks up a little bit of wind it's going to drift to the left it's going to drift to the right and you just you just can't make accurate shots when when the wind's blowing hard or you know when when there's when you hit your arm you know your bowstring hits your arm or you know slaps your, your your wrist or whatever um, so that's, uh, I, give me, give me tight diameter, more accurate shot. That's just my preference. But like I said, there's a, we sell a ton of jackhammers and jackknife broadheads to, to people that, that prefer that big cut. And also like the fact that they don't have to play with them as much to, uh, to, to get them to shoot straight. I mean, our, our jackhammers and jackknives are just notorious for, you know, field point accuracy. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Now I know we talked a little bit about the, the, the specs of an actual, you know, the, the wasp broadheads, but overall, what are, what are bullet points or, you know, things that make a topics that make a broadhead good? Um, I, I think I touched on a little earlier. I think solid materials are way better than anything that has a hole drilled in it or, or a teeny tiny screw holding something in place or whatever. Um, for, for me, I mean, what I know about engineering, it, it's a weak point. It, it has to be. Um, so I look for solid materials and listen, there's, there's other broadhead companies that, that make a decent product. Um, we just feel ours is superior in, in the way that we make it and put it together. But that's what I look for. Are the blades going to hold together? You know, if I, if I, like you we talked, touched on earlier, if I, if this blade's going to break every time I shoot it, I don't want that broadhead. You know, I don't want that. I don't want to have to feed my family a, a steak and, and, you know, find that there's a, you know, a piece of sharp stainless steel in it or whatever. Um, so it, it has to be durable. It has to be tough. Um, and I think it's um, repeatability. You know, if you can, you can shoot it and, and it's accurate and it's going to, it's going to be that way every time. And, and that's what I'm looking for. Okay. So now talking a little bit about the future of the company, what, um, do you guys have anything new and exciting coming up that you can, uh, tell us, or maybe, um, is there a direction or a product you want to improve for the upcoming years? You know, <laughs> obviously there's, we're always working on something. Um, Zach Weaver, who is, who is guy's son, uh, he generally does most of the new product development stuff. Um, we came out a few years ago with a, a, a broadhead for fishing, you know, the talon, Um, which was a a really innovative idea. Now I see a couple other people are copying the idea, but um, long story short, after you reel your fish in or or whatever, um, you can just give it a quick twist and the blades fold forward so you can get your your fish off easier. So for tournament shooters, I mean, the old old days, you had to unscrew it every time to get the fish off. And then, you know, you drop it in the boat, you drop it in the water, you know, whatever. It's dark because a lot lot of fishing, um, you know, carp fishing tournaments and so forth are done at night. Um, so this, this allows you to just flip it forward, give it a quarter turn, the blades, the blades flip out of the way, you pull it out, you, flip, you give it another quarter turn and lock the blades back. So that's the kind of innovation stuff that, that Zach has worked on. Um, as far as like regular broadhead stuff, yeah, there's always, there's always irons in the fire. Um, we've been asked many times to, to produce a, a drone. The drone has just taken off for us. Like, like you can't believe, but we've, we've been asked to produce a drone with a slightly bigger cutting diameter because so many people you know want a little bit bigger. Um, so I'm not going to tell you, we aren't testing some things like that. Um, but there's, 
it's it's I want to say it's run its course because as you know as an engineer there's always somebody out there that's that's, that's innovating and coming up with something new but um, it's pointy it's sharp it's durable what do you want you know <laughs> right with that said what I mean what because because I talked to some engineers that you know design bows you know and there's 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 a certain point where you're not going to get any more speed unless you are pulling back, you know, you start pulling back a thousand pounds or, you know what I mean? To, right. to, to get that error, you know, but there's just limits, right? So what, I mean, a broadhead is a broadhead is a broadhead. Yes, you can cut it up and say, okay, this tip is made out of steel, but is there a point or a plateau for broadheads where it's just, okay, now we're stretching to make a different product just to make a different product. Uh, you know, it's, it's easy to fall into that trap and to think that. I think, um, you know, American consumers in particular, I mean, we're so used to having so many choices uh, and being able, I don't care if you're buying, you know, minute rice or you're buying broadheads, you know, we, we have choices, let's face it. Uh, you you go, to, go walk to a grocery store in another country and it's unbelievable how limited... Um, their choices really can be. Um, but so you know, I would never say, no, we're done. We, we can't think of anything else. So we're done. Um, that's, that's not in me. I don't yeah. think that's in anybody who's, who's an innovator, who's in the industry. We always want to look for something better. Um, there may be even tougher materials out there. Um, I, I don't know. We, we research things all the time and we try to come up with new and better ways to do it. So, yeah, I, I think it would be, um, you know, but the, the Olympics are on recently, you know, and it's, it's like how fast can people swim? Yeah. Uh, but they keep breaking world records. So right. we're, we're going to keep, we're going to keep swimming faster. We're going to, we're going to keep doing whatever we can to, um, you know, make the customer happy, um, provide the quality that they expect from wasp. And to, uh, if we, when we come up with that innovative thing, um, you'll know about it. We'll, we'll get her out there. Do you guys have any warranties on your products? We, you know, that's another, that's another very interesting question. Um, and I, I, I say this, okay. Uh, to me, okay. Even before I was ever involved with Wasp and I had to spend my own hard earned money on broadheads, the broadhead is the last thing I, I really want to resharpen or be able to use 10 times. Right. You know, I'm, I'm out there in the woods with a thousand dollars, you know, suit scent control suit on you know, with, with $250 boots and a $1,500 bow and, and I'm worried about a $10 broadhead. I, I don't, I don't see that, but, uh, other people do. Uh, and so, you know, we, we sell replacement blades. We, we sell, you know, little kits that you can, you can do your own thing with. Um, not a lot of them because I think most other consumers feel the same way. Um, you could, you can run a file across the blades and touch them up, but you're, you're never going to get them as sharp as, as, as they come from, uh, you know, our factory, I mean, it's, it's just not going to be possible, but, um, you, you can do that. Um, I, I don't know. Okay. So with then, like, I, you know, I, I talked about earlier, I was at the, uh, store the other day and, you know, you got all these different selections of broadheads. When a guy walks into a store and he sees a wall full of broadheads and he doesn't know what he wants to buy, why should he choose wasp? Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's, it's kind of been the theme from our whole discussion is you, you're right. looking for solid materials, strength, durability with the internet availability today. You don't have to walk in the store and wonder you do do your research before you ever walk into the store. If you, if you really want to shoot the broadhead that, that some movie star shoots, Hey, you know, that's, go for it. I mean, everybody knows that they get paid to say nice things. Um, I often thought that when I was younger, I thought I might be a writer someday. I thought, what, what a, what better job than to be an outdoor writer, get paid to hunt and test other people's equipment and then write nice things about it. Um, it doesn't really work like that, but <laughs> I was young and naive. I thought it did. Um, so yeah, I, I realize it's a tough choice and, and we have many choices as we, as we touched on earlier. Um, so I, I say, you know, do the research, um, don't listen to all the hype, you know, li listen to, you know, use your gut and, and use a broadhead that, that, you know, you know, I mean that, for example, a fictitious broadhead with a, 
a four inch long blade that comes to a real long sweeping point or whatever, that's going to break, you know, that that's going to break off when it hits something hard. Um, and I've, I've said this many times jokingly, I would never do it, but I, if, if I make a perfect shot broadside on a deer, I could probably duct tape a number two pencil to my arrow and kill it. Yep. Um, but you know, so it's, it's not about when you do everything perfect. It's about what happens when something goes wrong. You want something really tough. Um, same, same logic as, as gun hunting. I mean, can you kill a deer with a, with a 22? Sure you can, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't, I mean, you wouldn't do that on purpose. You wouldn't go hunting with a 22. You use enough gun, uh, to get the job done, you know, humanely and quickly and so on and so forth. So yeah, it's, it's a tough choice. Every consumer has to make that choice, but I think, um, the social media and the inter- internet today, you, you have so many opportunities to, uh, to do your, your homework and do your research and not go in there blindly and just pull something off the shelf and not understand it. Right. Right. Well, Fred, I, I really appreciate you taking your time today to, uh, um, you know, come on the show and talk about wasp with us. If people want to find out more information about wasp, where should we send them? www.wasparchery.com. Any technical questions you have, I answer every email personally myself. Um, so, you know, anything, anything anybody wants to know about, you know, what, what broadhead should they shoot? What choices should they make? Uh, we get tons of questions like that. So yeah, www.wasparchery.com. My name is Fred Doherty. They'll forward all of those emails to me, um, off the, off the main website. And I'm, I'm happy if, if we can't, if we can't handle it over a, a, you know, a quick couple of emails back and forth, I'll give you my personal cell phone number and we'll talk. All right, everybody. First off, I want to thank Fred for coming on the show and talking about WASP. Big ups to him. Also, huge thank you to all of you who have listened today and uh, let me rant right there at the beginning. But this is not a joke. It is time to get together. And uh, we got to figure out a plan because these guys are coming for us, as you can plainly see. And uh, not only do we as consumers need to join together, but we need to be sure that the companies that we are purchasing our hunting products from are also, I guess, they have the same beliefs that we do because we need them. Uh, well, I think obviously they need us more than we need them, right? And there's a potential here that as a consumer, and if we if we band together and have this one voice, we can do a lot. And not only defending anti-hunters, but telling companies who may not support us that uh, we're not going to take any of that crap. So, uh just some more stuff to think about huge shout out i'm sorry i'm just really pissed as you can tell but anyway huge shout out to exodus trail cameras i really appreciate what you guys have been doing uh if you guys want to follow me on facebook instagram twitter uh i'm on those places and uh other than that uh, leave a review on the podcast on itunes or stitcher or wherever you're downloading it from. Uh, what else? What else? What else? What else? What else? Oh, I for- completely forgot. Wednesday is the 100th podcast. And uh, I'll be chatting with the guys from Exodus. And we are going to be talking about Exodus products. We're going to be talking about trail cameras. I don't know what we're really going to We're going to be talking about absolutely everything. And... Uh, Be prepared to tune in because this is a huge giveaway. And I think I've already mentioned in other episodes of, uh, you know, like I I got Ozonics, I got some binoculars, I got some uh, broadheads, some mineral, uh, trail camera, obviously, from Exodus. All these things are up for grabs in uh, the giveaway that's coming up. Uh, Wasp Archery is also going to be giving some stuff up for for, uh, the 100th episode. So uh, make sure you guys... Jeez, I can't even talk. Make sure you guys tune in for the 100th episode. And, uh, hey, between now and the 100th episode, if you're in a tree, wear your damn safety harness.